This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Welcome to Turning a New Leaf, where we discuss the changing face of Canada as it prepares to legalize and regulate recreational marijuana across the country. Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. Enjoy. This episode of the podcast, when we were talking about doing this show, all I could think was at some point we have to talk to a doctor. I would love to hear a doctor's perspective on what's about to happen. Well, what surprised me when we spoke to Dr. John Gillis, who's today's guest on the show, was this has actually been happening maybe more than we thought. Um, so a few surprises with John, his take on addiction, uh, risk, uh, all sorts of precautions and things that he has to look out for, even how to tell if someone really needs it as medicine or if they're just looking for a quick high. Dr. John Gillis on today's show. Hope you enjoy it. So Dr. John Gillis, doctor being the uh, important part of that equation, at least for the context of this discussion, I want to set things up uh, with a couple of things, just provide some context. Uh, so first, welcome. It's great to have you here and, uh, and, uh, and your willingness to chat on the topic. So uh, just to run things down, You've got a certification in family and emergency medicine, tons of experience in chronic pain management and occupational medicine. You've been running the Center for Pain Management in Dartmouth since 2007. You've been on the staff as an emergency physician at Dartmouth General since 2001. I'm sure that list is even longer than that. Um, This is what I've managed to dig up. So to say that you're uh, qualified and know what you're doing is a little bit of an understatement maybe. But in the context of this discussion, I'm going to simply start with this. Weed versus medicine. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think some would argue that weed is medicine, and depending on the context and how it's used. I mean, for me, uh, this has been an evolution. I got into chronic pain management 10 years ago. I won't say by accident, but it's not something I planned. It's just sort of uh, something that I became interested in and moved into, uh, you know, with an interest in the, uh, you know, the various pieces of that, uh, medicines, therapy, and, and the procedures that go along with it. And marijuana initially was a small part of that. It was kind of on the edge that some of the patients did that, and uh, you tried to figure out how it helped them. And then, you know, understanding the old guidelines that the federal government had and sort of realizing fairly quickly that this was, you know, something that had a place in pain management and something that was, you know, a prominent reality in our society. Mm-hmm. We could either try to learn about it and figure out how to best incorporate it or or turtle and ignore it. And, uh, you know, we've seen an evolution since then. I've you know, gone from knowing very little about it to, you know, having it you know, be a big part of my practice mm-hmm. and, you know, getting involved in the, you know, industry uh, as well. So it's uh, something I've gone from knowing nothing about to something that, you know, within reason I, I know a lot about parts of it. But right. Again, it's a... Uh, <clears throat> It's it's a great evolution as in terms of its uh, the science behind it, its effect socially, what it's going to mean from a you know justice, legal, and financial point of view to our society. So it's uh, it's an ongoing uh, evolution. So you're you're like you're I got so many thoughts right now. Like you're jumping right in <laughs> everything I wanted to talk Don't about. Around. But you you said something interesting that was actually news to me um, just now. This idea, like how far back would that have been? You had mentioned you were noticing evidence of it help, helping certain patients. 
So well, I mean, I've been doing this ten years. I mean, yeah. as an eMERGE doc, I've been doing it for fifteen, and mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of always been on the radar, but always, you know, on the down low, or maybe not talked about sure. by people. Uh, when the government came out with the first program, you know, ten plus years ago, I think it's more like fifteen. You know, it was harder to get approved. A, a specialist, whatever that means anymore, had to sure. approve it. And, you know, patients were doing that and, you know, a certain list of conditions qualified and some didn't. And, you know, that's that's sort of evolved over time. So it, it's sort of always been there. And, uh, you know, I guess we look back in history even further as you as you come to learn about marijuana, that it was, you know, it's been around for millennia. It's been alternatively lauded and vilified in various cultures mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. And, and so it continues. Yeah. So what's interesting to me, I'm assuming, and rightly or wrongly, that we're continuing to learn about it. Everyone is continuing to learn about it. So back in the earlier days that we're discussing now, you mentioned that certain conditions would have been approved. So how is that getting decided, and who who's approving what those conditions? Well, I mean, even trying to remember the old Health Canada form, you know, things like cancer, multiple sclerosis, um, you know, other chronic conditions, severe arthritis was one of them. And I think, you know, at the time that might have been how a lot of people would have qualified. But even that's a somewhat subjective term. What what's sure. what constitutes severe arthritis? Yeah. My knees hurt from twenty years of playing rugby. Does that mean I have, you know, severe arthritis? Probably not. But it was maybe not yet. Yeah, maybe not yet. <laughs> a years time. Uh, there was you know a fair bit of subjectivity there, and there were mm-hmm. you know a couple other conditions listed. I honestly don't remember what was on that list. Mm-hmm. You know the the evolution of of that process is that you know any physician now can authorize. A patient to use medical marijuana for a condition that they feel to be appropriate, and you know that in and of itself caused a lot of controversy. With you know doctors saying, "Well, how do I know what's appropriate?" So how, it's the, it's the, what you feel is appropriate as a doctor, or the or the patient feels is appropriate. What the doctor feels is right, appropriate, right. you know, based on you know ideally evidence, recommendations, uh, and comfort level. But it was you know it it wasn't, and it still isn't super clear. As it's not a you know hard line as to, mm-hmm. you know, is this first line for some things and second, third, fourth line for other things? The answer is yes and no, and it depends on the individual. So it's sure. it's very much trying to understand risk benefit, you know, for all these things and to determine their proper place, you know, from a medical point of view, you know, while realizing that, uh, you know, people use marijuana recreationally, uh, on a significant basis, that, that it's it's out there and it's everywhere, and we can ignore it or we can sure. attempt to understand it and manage it in the best way we can. Mm-hmm. So, when you think about um, all the all of the potential uh, solutions for chronic pain, whatever they might be, medications, whatever, is this something? Marijuana, cannabis, whatever term we choose to use, is it something that people are trying first? Is it a last resort? Where do you find that it fits in the mix? I'm assuming there's no, well, maybe there is a pattern. I don't no, know. So it's a good question. I mean, I think in terms of any official recommendations, you'd see it as a, you know, not a first line drug, not the first thing you try. That, uh, and that would depend on the condition, but that, you know, even some of the recommendations, some of the evidence where it can be beneficial, you know, nerve pain, uh, even fibromyalgia in some cases, it's, you know, try all these other things first. Right. Uh, you know, and, you know, we, in treating pain, we talk about the pain ladder, in which, you know, we're getting into it in great detail is start mm-hmm. with simple things that are not narcotic. 
you know, Tylenol, Advil, look at drugs for nerve pain that are non-opiate. If you're going to try opiates, start with the weaker ones at small mm-hmm. doses, and then look at other agents. Now, what we're seeing over time is, you know, it, what is very much a circular argument. There's no evidence for marijuana, therefore don't use it. Right. But the problem is, is because it hasn't been used and, and trialed, uh, the evidence has not been flushed out. So the only way you get evidence is to seek evidence. Right. So, and then you, you try to balance, you know, what evidence there is with what you're hearing from your patients. You know, that this stuff helps me sleep and I don't care if the, you know, British Journal of, uh, you know, you know, sativa says it's, there's no right. evidence for it. it uh, yeah. For me, it works and this is what you hear and you're trying to balance that. So trying to keep up with what's out there and th- there is more evidence every day for what's good. But at the same time, you know, accepting the fact that, you know, as an example, you know, the developing brain still can be affected by cannabis. Right. It's not completely benign. You don't want teenagers smoking this stuff uh, at all or in, in large quantities, not because you're, you know, a deadbeat or you're boring or you, you know, you're you're holier than thou because, right. you know, you used to drink rum down the field when you were a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there is evidence that it, it can harm you know, development thought process. And, you know, again, that evidence is evolving. And and the tough part is, you know, how much is too much? Is a little bit here and there a big deal? Right. You know, how how do you do that study? You know, imagine the sign-up roles for that one, (laughs) seeking 19-year-old college students for a, you know, it's it's hard to to parse that. So, you know, we want to be safe. We want to be effective with people, but also accept the fact that, you know, even the recent arguments about what the age should be. You know, the some of the science says below 21 is is, is a real concern. 21 to 25 is still a concern. Mm-hmm. So do you set your age at 21 and, you know, tell the 20-year-old the who's got a job or is a full-time university student that he has to get his buddy to go get him some, right. some pot? Right. Or he can just buy it illegally. There's, there's a do the best you can to harm reduce versus the reality of, you know, I can go buy... You know, I can go buy alcohol, but you're telling me I can't go buy this. Yeah. How do we do the best job we can? And, you know, some of the guidelines on that, you know, the Canadian Pediatric Society, you know, and some others have debated it back and forth. Practicality versus the the hard, you know, facts of the evidence to try and find a balance. Mm. And this is fascinating. Like, I, <clears throat> I'm trying to imagine being in your position as a doctor. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, does somebody say to you, you need to you need to educate yourself on this. Is this a choice you make? I mean, you were saying earlier it's there. We can ignore it, or we can we can educate ourselves. In your case, how did you? What decision did you make? Well, I, I more or less had no choice. I mean, working in the chronic pain world, it's it's there. It's, mm-hmm. it's not only there because people were using it anyway, but it's it was there as a treatment option, albeit you know fairly new. Mm-hmm. You know, to either be able to order it from the government or you know at one. At some point, the pills came along. Right. You know, there's a spray out there, pharmaceutical grade mm-hmm. spray. Yeah. So different options to treat people, and you know, again, it was it was part of the arsenal, and you know, particularly recently, I mean, we've seen a lot of issues with opiates, with uh, you know, deaths, and you know, the the street prevalence on the street of synthetics that are very dangerous, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's made us all reevaluate what's happening. And, you know, I'm, I'm tongue-in-cheek about it sometimes, but, you know, I, I say to people, you know, what's the worst thing someone does when they smoke too much dope? They fall right. asleep and steal a cheeseburger. Right. You know, they're not, they're not dying. Right? Right. They're not overdosing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we can't be too cavalier about it and mm-hmm. say it's completely harmless that we should just, you know, you know put it in the furnace Free and, for and all, have yeah. at it. That, that doesn't work either. Yeah. And what, and what about, um, you know, we've talked about it in the context of, of medicinal use. That's... 
probably going to change when it goes wreck. So, I mean, I don't know what my question is here, but it, just the idea that, you know, it seems like it's easier to talk about in the medicinal context. Well, there's a couple things here, and again, you know, with marijuana, people, you know, this, this was interesting as I got to understand it. You know, what, what you'd maybe saw growing up or from your neighbor or from your buddy was that, mm. you know, they had some, some grass. Yeah. They didn't know what it was, how strong it was, what it was about. So, you know, you look at, you know, analogy of wine, for example. You know, you're, you're 20 and you got a date and you're like, someone says you should get a bottle of wine. And you're like, oh, there's red and there's white. Right. But then you, you, you realize there's probably 100,000 types of red wine, varietals, different sort of thing. Yeah. Marijuana is very similar in the sense that it has, you know, different types, you know, the main ones being sativas and indicas, but within those, so many substrains mm-hmm. uh, and the chemicals that are in them, trying to get your head around what the chemicals are. People know about THC. You know, uh, as being the you know the substance that can make you high or make you sleepy or both, right, or give you energy depending on the variant. But that over time, you know, the they say the, the stuff that people smoked at Woodstock was four percent THC. Hmm. You can buy stuff now that's thirty. Yeah, and just the, the 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 range of that has changed so much. The emerging research is understanding all the other chemicals. So the one that uh, I call it Vogue now, and I think it's a good thing that it's you know, become more into prominence is cannabidiol, CBD, Mm -hmm. which is a component of some marijuana strains, but depending on the strain can be very high in CBD and very low in the THC. CBD has increasingly been shown to be good for pain, but not have the hallucinogenic effects. Right. So it's, it's trying to understand, you know, what, you know, as, as an individual, what might work for you, but as part, part of the job as, you know, as a physician trying to advise people is to at least on some level, give people advice on, well, if we're trying to treat pain, this is this is these are the generalities where you should look. Mm-hmm. If we're trying to help with sleep, you know, something that's higher in THC may help you sleep better because right. it's going to have that effect. And finding that balance, and even that has created a whole, you know, call it a, a complementary industry of you know people who are experts on the subject who provide advice to people and you know this is this is for pain this is for sleep this is for this that and the other thing and right. even in that mode you know trying to determine what's legitimate and what's a sales pitch like anything right. is yeah. is is important to look at and so when you have patients come in and i mean i'm trying to i'm, I'm guessing you would get all kinds but if somebody comes in and they're telling you look i need a prescription for this it really really works do you are you able to tell is this someone who genuinely it really works or they just need you to prescribe yeah so that, that's know? a tough one and you know in the context of a pain clinic nobody comes to us just off the street they're referred by their family right. doctor of course yeah. so I guess I would say typically people are who are just looking to get high don't make it through the door right now uh, I guess increasingly with the new rules in the last few years you know there are there are doctors out there who Maybe they believe in it but aren't comfortable with it, or maybe they just don't believe in it, mm-hmm. who will refer people on, you know, just for this. And, you know, I'll get a referral saying, you know, patient, you know, interested in marijuana. My approach to that is to, you know, go through their case, look at what they've tried and not tried, and determine what I think the best fit for them is at that point in time. And, I, and you know, I would say a lot of the time it's not marijuana right. first. And, you know, there are protocols, there are standards, you know, that are suggested, you know, by our regulators and by, you know, some of the scientific bodies that say, you know, you should you should really try these other things first. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough thing sometimes because you, you know, some people say, I don't want to try anything else. Mm. I just want pot. Yeah. 
And you have to make your own decision level of comfort. For me, I'm not typically comfortable with that. However, you know, if I have somebody, you know, who is clearly benefiting uh, or has benefited, you know, sometimes they've lost a doctor or something like that. Uh, they, they've clearly tried a lot of other things or had side effects or had issues with opiates or at risk for opiates. You know, sometimes it is appropriate mm-hmm. to consider that early on, but that's very case by case. But it can't right. be done just in a in a haphazard manner. You have to look at what they've tried, why they've tried it, what they've done. You know, coming through the door saying, yeah, I just want a pop prescription, you know, not for me. Right, right. Uh, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but, you know, it's it's part of their treatment. And, that, yeah. that, you know, in, in that context, it needs to be the key. And is there, um, I mean, I would imagine that's your take on how to manage that with people. Another doctor's take might be completely different. Is there yet some sort of, uh, and, and maybe this is a ridiculous question, I just don't know, uh, guideline as a as a doctor for how you're supposed to manage this. Yeah, there are there are some recommendations. The College of Family Physicians has a I think what they call a guideline out there for things that you're supposed to look for, uh, screen for. Uh, you know, before that even came out, uh, you know, I had I, I use a tool that I developed myself. You know, kind of pulled together from some other sources, which talks about depression, other mood disorders, breathing disorders, mm-hmm. cardiac risk. You know. History of drug addiction and that sort of thing. So there's sort of a expectation that you follow a process of screening uh, to determine, even if you're thinking about it, that that someone is a candidate in general. Right. And what conditions, you know, the evidence is good for, fair for, or non-existent for. But again, that's that's an evolution, right? It's uh, you know, it changes more and more every day. So it it is a combination of, you know, fact, science. But also judging each case individually and in, in a reasonable, you know, ethical fashion. I guess is yeah. what I would say. Wow, it's 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 got to be. I mean, just even for you personally, it's got to be a fascinating time in society. I mean, here's this whole. I mean, and, and maybe it's newer to us as consumers versus you know someone in your profession, but this is a whole industry that we're watching be born. You know, from right. a business perspective, and you, you know, you, you've got people coming in asking for it. People maybe don't understand the risks. You know, age is coming into play. What do you do? You have any particular fears as it relates to it becoming legal as a recreational drug? I fear. I mean, it, it is in my mind so omnipresent now mm-hmm. that I would rather see it legal and regulated mm-hmm. for a number of reasons, and I guess. And those are those are social. Those are justice. Those are fiscal. You know, the social reality is it's wow. out there anyway. Not, not that we can always justify everything, but I'd rather have people have access to clean, pharmaceutically grade product mm-hmm. that is not contaminated with anything, mold, sure. uh, bacteria, pesticides, mm-hmm. or worse. Right. And, and you know, there was a recent study out showing that I forget where it was, but a very large contamination rate with street marijuana with things like speed, ecstasy, right. and cocaine, which mm-hmm. I mean, that's a whole different ballgame. Wow. I'd rather see people, if they're going to use marijuana recreationally, know what they're getting, mm-hmm. be educated on it, uh, allow it to be gate-kept from you know, younger younger citizens who shouldn't be getting it. And that, you know, again, we've talked about that age limit. How do you, sure. how do you determine that? So, you know, if it, it's out there, let's let's regulate it. Uh, let's allow the government to benefit from it, mm-hmm. and let's take it out of the hands of organized crime. I mean, this 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 is not a new story. I mean, multiple attorneys general in this country for years have been saying, you know, why are we clogging up our courts and jails with this stuff right. when we could be 
We're stopping when, real crime. When we could be stopping real crime. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's an issue. You know, you know, it, um, I think it's the responsible thing to do in light of all the issues in the past with it, you know, that are, you know, health-wise, supply-wise, mm. recent street opiates and contamination, uh, and the the fiscal injustice side. Yeah, it's funny, you know, I have, I'm, as you probably do, I have a lot of conversations with people about this almost on a daily basis. And, you know, one of the things that comes up often in conversations is, is from parents with kids, you know, who say, well, it's, it's going to be easier for my kids to get access to that. And to be honest with you, to your point, I feel like, I don't know what, where they're living or what they think is happening. But, you know, in my experience, it's easier to get than a, a case of beer, you know, as a, as a kid. No, I mean, that, that's all the reports are that that's the case. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, carrying a case of beer around school. Yeah, you know, under your coat. I'm sure. not trying to be too facetious, but yeah. this stuff is easy to pass around, and 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 the risk increasingly, you know. And again, we we need to educate. We need to talk about the potential mm. harms to the developing brain. But you know, if I were a parent, I'd want my kids to know about the risks. If if they were using this, I'd rather have them using something that is not contaminated and it is you know clean than. Mm. You know, something that's, you know, fallen off the back of a truck and could be contaminated with mold, other drugs. Sure. Or, you know, the, the real scary thing now is, is you know, fentanyl, carfentanyl. Right. Yeah. You know, and, you know, everybody has their own history, but, you know, I think anyone can remember going to a party and, you know, seeing people passing around a, a cigar, a cigarette, or a joint. Yeah. You know, th that's scary. Yeah, you have no idea what's in that. You have no idea what's in that. Yeah. And so if a parent comes to you... Is that how the conversation goes? Is that is that the point of view that you like to express with parents? That, I mean, that in, in the context of, I guess, my practice, that that really doesn't come up. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't see kids. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, socially and you know through friends and family, you know, those conversations have come up, and that's that's you know typically what I say is that you know you shouldn't ignore this. Yeah. But it, it's all about balance and harm reduction. We take a similar conversation with alcohol. Some parents, you know. Don't drink anything. It's terrible. You're you're locked up for life if you do it. Yeah. Others will try to supervise their kids, you know, to try and harm reduce. Mm -hmm. uh, who's right? You know. Yeah, great point. Uh, neither and both. Yeah. Uh, you know, with marijuana, it, it it's a real tough one because it is out there, and I think you know, and it will remain illegal for for those under a certain age to use. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I think it's in our best interest to continue to educate. And to make sure that if it is out there in society, even on on that side of things, that uh, harm reduction and keeping people safe, keeping people uh, alive, is is first and foremost. So I can't decide which which version of this conversation I'm interested in hearing about more. But in your circle of peers, whether that be professionally or socially, right? If and when this comes up, are those conversations very different? So when you have a conversation in in a professional group. Versus, say, you know, you're out at a friend's having dinner and this comes up. Is it a different conversation? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's complicated in, you know, in my, you know, professional circles, many of whom are friends. You know, I think most people are aware of the reality of where we are. Right. I mean, they, they may not have this as part of their practice, but... Like this know, is happening. This is happening. Yeah. It has been happening. And, yeah. You know, if you forget that some people grew up in the '60s and '70s and you know did not grow up locked in cages under bridges, that right. you know, they actually lived and were teenagers and college students. Right. And so, 
You know, the the acceptance in society right now, I think, would surprise most people. And I think maybe the, the piece of it that would surprise a lot of people is, you know, the number of, you know, people like the stereotype, but the little old ladies who are, you know, both for pain use and for recreational use are out there. Yeah. Uh, that You know, this is, you know, fairly widely accepted. Now, that's that's probably the, the social, socio-political side. Now, is that is that because of the type of people we all hang out with? I'm, you know, I'm liberally minded in in most aspects are people who are you know much more law and order more conservative in nature do they have a significantly different opinion right i think i think the answer to that is to some degree but even even in those circles people i know and you know some of the studies that are out there that there is an acceptance in this country of the reality and perhaps even more so in those circles of you know the desire to regulate uh police reasonably with the regulations mm-hmm. and to uh enjoy some of the fiscal benefits to government of, of a regulated system. Sure, yeah. Switching gears for a minute, you, you made me think earlier, we were talking about the age. Um, I, I may get the details of this story wrong, but as I understand it, there is a, a strain of, of marijuana called Charlotte's Web that is based on a young girl in the, in the States, I believe, who was suffering from some type of seizures. Again, I'll spare all the details, but she was given a form of marijuana Mm -hmm. that was high in CBD, and it apparently stopped the seizures. Right. Have you heard about this story? I think there's many examples of this now. What do you know about that? I mean, you know, I've seen them. It's often hard to believe, to be honest. You you watch it literally happen in front of your eyes. Um, Is this the kind of evidence that you're talking about when you... See, the the tough part about that, I mean, when we talk about evidence, it's, as an example, you take 20, 40-year-old men with low back pain, and you give half of them marijuana oil, of a certain strength. You're talking to me right now. This I'm is, talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got, no, I don't have any right here. Yeah. <laughs> and you give half of them uh, glycerin that looks like, and maybe it even smells like marijuana oil. You you know, a treatment arm and a placebo arm, and yeah. you, you compare their pain scores, just on a very basic level. Mm-hmm. So you're comparing similar entities on on two drugs, or maybe three, or maybe it's two concentrations. Sometimes they'll leave one group on the drug the whole time, they'll take some of them and cross them over, and they'll come. there's a whole science behind that. Yep, yep. That's how evidence comes, and, you know, is this beneficial? Uh, and, you know, even, even to pull that apart, I mean, we look at morphine. Yes, morphine reduces pain. Does morphine cure your chronic pain? No, it's a treatment. Sure. So even this is how a lot of this is controversial. Does it work as a treatment? Is right. it going to cure you? But where, where it gets tough is, you know, what we call anecdotal evidence, which means, yeah. you know, you know, me and Sean were at the cabin on the weekend and, you know, we had some good stuff and me back hurts less. You know, that's right. That's yeah. a joke. Yeah. Uh, when, <laughs> when a neurologist can confirm that a little girl stopped having seizures because, presumably because of this substance only, that is compelling, but it in and of itself is not really evidence. Is, right. is it something to do with that individual only? Was, right. it, was it a fluke? And this is why it gets tough to prove. And then how do you, how do you convince, you know, regulators, people in ethics at hospitals and universities? How do you do a trial on a bunch of five-year-olds with with CBD? Right. And this is where it gets tricky. So, when things are really compelling in science and in medicine, you know, we found something here that looks crazy compelling. That this little girl who had the, they've tried everything. You got nothing to lose. Go sure. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. At what point in the chain, though, with, you know. 
a more regular case of seizures, a a more typical case where, yeah, maybe they were responding to, you know, one of the other seizure meds, but they were having some breakthrough seizures. At what point do you justify to yourself, you know, now's the time to give this five-year-old some pot? Right. And, you know, kind of joking about it, but yeah. that's a tough thing to do ethically. And as time passes, we'll have more stories about it, more uh, researchers or people that are on the sort of clinical side and do research as well will be able to say, you know, these 10 neurologists got together and they've all worked yeah. with this substance and they've put together a statement where they feel based on these criteria, it's reasonable to mm-hmm. try this. And that's how evidence evolves. You know, you have to have a story that something works or you have to try it once to see if it works. Right. And it's how you get from A to B in a reasonable, ethical mm-hmm. fashion that you can make something into a real treatment over time. Yeah. And does that exist yet? Uh, For that sort of thing, I mean, I think, you know, neurologists at, you know, children's hospitals, for example, are using some of these things. Right. Uh, To what degree and in what circumstances, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think, you know, again, we're we're seeing a real evolution of of thought on this every day as to to what's appropriate and what's not. That, you know, this is is not the end of the world and we have to figure it out, right? And with the omnipresence of opiates in our society coming back to that, that's much more dangerous. Sure. But let's figure this out, and let's let's do it ethically. Yeah. The the sidebar to some of this is that there are people, you know, there are snake oil salesmen out there saying that you know this marijuana capsule, you know, will make you six five, two thirty five, four percent body fat, yeah. bulletproof, brilliant, and uh, irresistible. Yeah, where we'll, where do I get yeah, that? I, it's, it's sold out. <laughs> it's sold out. Or it will cure your cancer, or it will right. make you, you know, and, and, and you know we. Conceptually, we can't have that either. Yeah, we can't right. have false claims being made about how great some things are. Mm-hmm. There's value here. There's merit here for the right people. But you know, taking marijuana oil is not going to cure all your problems. Right, right. right? Do you ever? You must get frustrated. I mean, with some of the things you hear as as a you know in your profession. Do you ever sit back and just go and shake your head, just be like, "What are we talking about?" Well, I mean. It, you know, just professionally, you know, you read Twitter for an hour and then you go bury yeah. your head in the sand, whether <laughs> yeah. it's whether it's politics, sports, medicine, yeah. science. I mean, there's some really amazing stuff out there and this, you know, stuff in life that, you know, just makes you, makes yeah. you shake your head. Yeah. So. Do you think we're moving too quick as a country? I don't. I mean, you know, and, you know, we, in the interest of disclosure, I mean, the, this is public. I'm involved in the, in the industry. I, I'm involved in a licensed producer applicant in Truro. I mean, I, I think this is a... Uh, very much an evolving industry, but something that's going to be uh, a, a big part of industry, uh, both on the recreational and medical side, mm-hmm. for a long time to come. And you know, I'm keen to see it done right. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, being a part of it, do I think we're moving too fast? Uh, no. I mean, I've been a I've been a proponent of legalization for a long time. Uh, I just, you know, it's important to get it right to make sure that. Uh, things are used appropriately, that access is controlled, that quality is there, that medical patients have access, that the recreational access points are appropriate, and that it's safe and that education uh, is done right. So as long as those things happen, I mean, there are people that would have liked to see this 20 years ago. You know, I think as long as the processes are followed and, you know, the governments across the country are taking different timelines to do it, Yeah, uh, I think they'll all figure it out in their own way. Yeah, it's... Uh Again, it's 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 a fascinating time. What about the? Uh, I'm, I've personally been very curious about this 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 notion of addiction, as it relates to marijuana. I mean, there's all kinds of debates about this. You can't get addicted. You can't get addicted. It's habit forming. It's not. What's your take? 
my, my take is that, you know, is it physically and psychologically addictive uh, as opiates are? Uh, I would say no, but it is not without risk in that, you know, your body can become attached to it and your mind can become affected by it you know, if you don't have it. So I think, you know, people need to, you know, keep track of their use. There, you know, there is, there are, you know, vomiting disorders from smoking too much marijuana, even though we think of marijuana as oh, wow. an anti-nauseant. Yeah. People who smoke too much. And it, it can have an impact on your life. It can have an impact on motivation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, addictive in, in that pathological sense, generally not. Some people will move from marijuana to other things as they may with alcohol to other things right. or from no- nothing to other things. You know, generally speaking, the data is that it is, you know, pretty benign in that sense. I think it's something we need to monitor carefully. And again, uh, as we move forward, keep track of what we're doing mm-hmm. and pay attention. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating. As opposed to just, well, it's out there, let's ignore it. Right, right. Yeah, I, I certainly appreciate your perspective on that. I mean, it, it is happening. Do you think we're going to make it? Uh, 2018, July 1st, 2018 is the day. You think it's going to happen? Well, it, it, it certainly seems to be heading that way. I mean, uh, governments are moving along with their plans. The, the legislation is, is before the House. And, uh, you know, again, aside from a few, you know, natters here and there, I mean, most people have either wholeheartedly endorsed it, uh, accepted it, you know, kind of blandly or even if they're not thrilled with it, you know, said, okay, well, let's, let's figure this out. Let's figure out the best so this, way. Yeah. You're, you're, we're not seeing, uh, you know, the, uh, the Parliament Hill riots against the devil's, devil's lettuce. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> John, uh, this has been fascinating. Honestly, I feel like we could talk for two more hours and maybe we will. I'm, I might call you back, but uh, I want to thank you for coming in and sharing your perspective. It's one that I think a lot of people would uh, be interested in hearing. And uh, again, all the best to everything you've done and what you will do. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Dr. John Gillis. I was excited to get a doctor on the show. I did have some questions that I wanted to ask him, and uh, of course, we did get right into it. And you know, one of the things that he said that I, I really took to heart was, you know, this is happening, and, and we have a choice to make, you know, as, as consumers. We're either going to learn about it or turtle and ignore it. And I think that that's key to how we manage, you know, what's about to be a new era. I was thinking a little bit about this um, since the time we had that conversation. I actually went back and, and, and looked into Prohibition a little bit and, and watched a There's a great documentary on Netflix for those of you that might be interested. Uh, and it's actually called Prohibition. What I didn't realize was the whole reason that Prohibition started in the first place. And that was because of the chaos that was happening in the streets, you know. People, you know, domestic violence was, was an issue. People lying in the streets was an issue. And... Um, you know, we certainly don't see that happening as part of the circumstances related to uh, marijuana usage. And in fact, what Dr. John Gillis says, you know, he says, if the worst thing that happens is I fall asleep and eat a cheeseburger, uh, then it doesn't quite compare. And I, I, I guess I tend to agree. One of the things that strikes me as funny with this scenario is is all of the testing and all of the, the regulations that drugs that we currently buy in a drugstore have to go through. Yet for some reason... Um, marijuana has yet to have to go through those tests, or at least not that I'm aware of. And I guess that makes me start to wonder if as a society we're more prepared to accept this than maybe we were thinking. I loved his analogy. In fact, it's an analogy that I've used uh, in my circle of friends, that when you realize 
um, the various strands and um, types of marijuana that you can buy and you and you buy it with intent that it's almost like choosing a wine. And to use the alcohol analogy for a second, you know, we find out, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, that that certain alcohols work for you and certain ones don't. Um, and I think it's the same thing with marijuana. Um, y- you know, just because you've tried one and it doesn't work doesn't mean that it isn't right. Uh, it means that you may you may be able to find one that works for you. And, and so use with intent and, and pay attention. You know, I also agree with another comment that he made, which was this idea that it's so omnipresent and, and you'd rather just see it legal and regulated then keep it the way it is now. Um, you know, if you have to walk down the street or go to a dispensary or someplace and a place that you may not be comfortable with going into, I guess the next best thing is to go to a place you are comfortable going into. But most importantly, knowing what it is you're getting and what's in it and and, and have some idea of, of what you're ingesting into your body. This idea of being able to choose with intent is uh, is a big one for me. You know, Dr. Gillis used the phrase harm reduction. And if, if whatever we can do to reduce harm uh, should be the key. Um, so I think, you know, my takeaway from this is if you're looking to try it or you, if you already have, pay attention to what's happening when you try it. Uh, what's working, what's not working for you. And if you find something that gives you the desired effect, make note of it and, and, and make the decision to, to maybe go back to that one. You know, I think... Most importantly, this who's right mentality that uh, Dr. Gillis talked about is is that at the end of the day, we have to use our best judgment um, as individuals, regardless of who's distributing it, where it's being sold and why and who's making the taxes and money and all of that sort of stuff. At some point, it comes down to your judgment as an individual. Uh, So learn about it, try it carefully and go easy. It's not without risk. So, um, you know, as he said, keep keep track of, of what you're doing and uh, and use it with intent. And I think you should be just fine. That was Dr. John Gillis. The leaves are in the bag on this one, as I've decided to say. Stay tuned for the next episode of the podcast where we'll be talking with Mary Agnes Welch, who's a public opinion pollster based out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. She's got all sorts of uh, information and perspectives based on talking to uh, the general public about uh, what might be happening in that area of the country. That'll be in a couple of weeks on the next episode of the podcast. Uh, Turning a New Leaf is produced by the Village Soundcast Network, and I'm your host, Sean King. See you next time. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 